Just a quick word from our affiliates before we jump into the episode. SafePoint Loan Working App is a really simple way for you to manage loan working. Utilising what three words to get you pinpoint accuracy on the location of your people when you really need it. Get yourself a discount using the link and code in the description of this episode. Let's jump into today's podcast. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, people? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. In this episode, we're kicking off our our joining of Safety FM with a massive mini-series, the biggest one I think we've had so far with some absolute legends. And today we're starting with an absolute boom, an absolute bang, and that is... Mr. Todd Conklin. So let's jump into the intro and then we can tell you more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluent. What's up people, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is doing exactly what it says on a team. We're here to change the perception of health and safety. And we do that on the podcast. We do that on the YouTube channel. So if you're new here, hit those buttons that look like they do something cool and funky on the old algorithm. Today, we are talking to the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Todd Conklin. And don't forget, we're in this new structure, this new content structure of Rebunning Safety. So I'm not going to go on and tell you what I thought of the conversation or anything now. I'm going to go much more in-depth next week in the reflection of my conversation with Todd episode. So make sure you go check that out next week as well. So there's no much more, not much more to really say, is there? We're in this new structure. I hope you're enjoying it. If you are, let us know. If you're not, definitely let us know. You can check us out on any of the social medias um, and let me know feedback. And it is it's vital. It's absolutely vital that I know what you think about these new structures, these changes, because if it's not working, you need to tell me um, so that we can fix it for you. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with the legendary professor, doctor, author, coiner of phrase, legend, speaker, just podcaster, forgot about that, podcaster, just absolutely everything, the Mr. Todd Conklin, let's go. People think it's happening. That is true, that is true, and I was talking to Jay Allen, who I know you know very well, and he said one of his tricks is tell them that you stop recording. And then they just completely relax, which is true. Some people get real uptight about this stuff. Which is odd. Mm. It's just it's a conversation. Just a, it's just a podcast. Yeah, it's just a chat. That's all it is. And it's a, it's a very specific podcast. And near as I can tell, everyone in the world has one. How many <laughs> podcasts do you think there are now? Well, when I started, and I started about a year, no, about two years ago now, in the oh, UK, a, there was you're a cute little baby. Oh you're yeah, com- baby com- compared to you, mate, I'm a newborn. Um, <laughs> I started about two years ago, and in the UK there was four, 
no, there was there was two others in the UK, and then I was number three, and then just shortly after me there was another fourth who you've been on, uh, Colin, uh, not it. Oh yeah, uh, he I, I was. Went, I went on his because of the audacity of the name. <laughs> yeah, it's very blunt. <laughs> oh, that's that's audacious. It's crazy. It's good. Um, and then there's got to be now. I don't know. I'm just trying to think. You've got yours, obviously. You've there's even on Safety FM. There's like I think there's six or seven on there, if not more. So you've got yours. Yeah, everyone that, has. One. Yeah, there's loads there's now. Pretty soon, there's going to be no safety people that don't have their own podcast. Yeah, yeah. And there's and another. I want to know who. Another, I want to know who listens to them. Do yeah. you listen to other people's podcasts? I listen to Do yours you actually. Looking. You listen to mine? Why? Yeah. Why? I don't know. If it's a bit crap, if I'm honest. <laughs> That's right. It's all crap. It's all um, crap. No, I quite like yours. Uh, the only thing I would say is I'm much more of a long-form man, so I like real long-form audio, whereas I think you like your short-form, don't you? Uh, I think mostly because I'm lazy. In <laughs> so. and, and time, time, I never have much time. I do now. I've, uh, now that, that we've had the COVID-19 stuff, I've had yeah. a lot more time. Yeah. But uh, long form's good. I just, I mostly want the podcast to have value. Yeah. And sometimes people get really drifty. Yeah. And they talk about things that um, aren't as valuable. Yeah. And then I never let anybody come on and sell crap. No, we're the same. Do you get those calls all the time? We get a few people message us saying, yeah, hey, we've got this new book. Yeah, Yeah, we got this new training or, yeah, I don't really do that. Can I come on and talk about it? And I'm like, yeah, but why? Why do you want to talk about it? Well, it's this new product and it's amazing. All right. Yeah, but why? And and, and they normally just can't come up to it, come come up with anything. I think if they come back with something passionate, like they say, do you know what? I just love what I do. And I don't, I really believe in this message. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. Let's, let's have a conversation. If they're just like, well, we've sold it to 6,000 people already. And uh, the customer yeah, yeah. reviews are, I'm like, I don't, I don't care what, what you've got to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, if they're passionate, passion's fun. Yeah. So that's cool. Well, we're, we're recording now, Todd. We've gone straight into it. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. If you've been, if anyone's been living in, in like under a stone for the last God knows how many years and may not have ever heard of Todd Conklin, do you want to give us a really quick introduction into yourself? To me, uh, well, let's see. I spent a really long time working at a big national laboratory in the United States, and that was really fun. And I met a bunch of great friends. And in the midst of that, I was put on a project. I was voluntold, I believe is the word they use. <laughs> Be on, a, be on a project to revitalize operational safety. And uh, at the time, this was years ago, many like like 20, I, I almost think probably 25 years ago, but that seems really old. Uh, at the time, we started to look at this phenomenon called human performance. And we started looking at sort of the meeting place where work systems met workers. And uh, that kind of started my journey into safety. This was pre, this was before the field guide. The, really, the only book we had was Jim Reason's book, um, who's one of your homies. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and, and we sort of went on that journey from there. Mm. And I've just kind of stayed with it. And 
tried to become really curious and understand that there's more I don't know than what I do know. And that led to an opportunity to get to work with really lots of super interesting people globally and started seeing improvement, especially around fatalities and serious incidents. You, you really saw market improvement, but you also saw increased productivity. So that's, that's kind of my background. I've, um, I have a, I'm a PhD in industrial psychology. So that's where I come to safety. I don't come from really the technical side. I come more from the how organizations learn and improve side. Hmm. How's that? Is that enough? You want more? I can make more stuff up. No, that's quite, cool. you can make it up. <laughs> oh, really? I can make up a lot of stuff if you want me to. Um, I am also Batman. <laughs> that's right. No, you, you would never admit that. <laughs> no, that's true. I, that's true. I would just tell you I'm a millionaire philanthropist and I have a youthful ward. <laughs> Robin. Yeah, he's got, and uh, you've got a nice, um, what do you call it? Like assistant butler with, with a great British accent as well, haven't you? That's right. Exactly. Mm. And a cave. I do have a cave. That that part I've got covered. So yeah. cave, cave part I have. So you actually have a cave What's or your, that joke? No, I live in a mud house in Santa Fe, New Mexico. What's your story? What, what got you? What's your background? What's my story? I'll probably come from that technical background that, that you say you didn't come from, really. I um, Like, like industrial hygiene, that side? Uh, no, I, I was just a normal safety professional. I still am, if I'm honest. Um, I've been doing safety for about, I think it'd be coming up to like, eight and a half maybe nine years now um i started off in manufacturing um and then gone over dabbled a bit in managing housing and healthcare and just your normal generalist safety professional if i'm honest um before that nothing but a complete layabout a teenager didn't really do anything uh, I thought I'll be, a, I'll, I wanted to go work in theatre or I wanted to be a journalist. That was my background. And uh, there were the two things I wanted to do. And uh, I've realised that I probably wasn't going to be a very good journalist because I have terrible English, uh, ironically. And, um, and yeah, so I went to, um, I went over to, to be an electrician, trained to be an electrician during the recession. That was a bad idea. Um, and, uh, and then from there, nothing. And I was a chef for like three years. And then I was like, what am I going to do? And just got given a job in, in a quality environment and health and safety assistant. And from there, here we are, eight to nine years boom, later. Bang, boom. Look at in there and you have a whole career. And that's it. Yeah, boom. That's it. Now, now we've got a bloody podcast and all I do is talk about safety. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Isn't it weird how that happens? takes over your life yeah t t what, what, what led you what led you to the new stuff to the new view stuff well to, to be honest it sounds I, like you have a good background in orthodox sort of classic safety industrial mm -hmm. safety yeah i i was when i started i was definitely that compliance based kind of person that that you you, you t traditional negative uh, kind of safety person you you would go out and bust people yeah, I was that kind of person. Oh, yeah. man. You're, you're a sucky person. I was the problem in the in the beginning. Like I was the I was the the traditional safety one. What we talk about in that when we crit when we're critical about these safety one people, I was the root cause of that. Like, not the root cause, but I was one of the symptoms of that. And uh, and then I was just playing around with it and realized that do you know what most of this stuff or the most of the kind of progress that I was getting from 
people when we were talking about safety was just from having a really good relationship with people and realized, well, hang on a minute, maybe there's a little bit more psychology to this. And, and then as we go and grew, and then there was a couple of stuff, I read a couple of like Andrew Shaman's work and he probably opened my eyes a little bit to it. And then all of a sudden started a podcast because I thought there's no one out there talking about this stuff. And we started a podcast and really all, all of a sudden was just like, here's all the stuff here's and i've read a bit of sydney decker before i'd seen a, a few bits of your stuff online and and that but not really got into that new view that safety world that safety two, safety differently whatever you want to call it world and then opened the yeah started the podcast and i think i've had a baptism of fire over the last year which has just been amazing um so for me it's like just showing other safety professionals that there is a there is a new another world out here that you can learn from wow so you're only into the the new view journey or whatever no one really knows what to call it just in case you're wondering um you've only (laughs) been in it like a year uh i I would say i dabbled in it probably just before i started probably about a year before i started a podcast so coming up to about three years now i'm I'm a baby in it mate i'm fresh in it wow yeah yeah so that that's exciting kind of though because there's all this really new stuff to learn i mean you can you can read stuff and it still probably blows your mind and you're like, whoa, that's crazy good. Yeah, some of it, like, I'm, I'm a bit, like, it's quite interesting because I'm, I'm very fascinated by this safety one safety versus safety two debate we have in the, in the industry because being so fresh into it, I, I'm sitting there like, well, there's a lot of similarities in both sides. And if maybe if you just stop bickering, we might be able to actually get somewhere with this. Um, but, you know, I've... I've followed so a lot what do you of see main, What do you see as the main difference? Let me ask that question. Between, uh, between classic sort of uh, classic organizational safety, industrial yeah. safety, manufacturing safety, and this kind of new view, which is more systems, resilience space, what do you see as the difference? You know, how, that'll how, help. How I look at it, Todd, is, is, is good safety and bad safety, is, is how I've described see, it. I think, that's, I think that's the wrong way to look at it. Really? Because I think good and bad lays kind of value statements on it. And there are times when compliance matters. And I mean, we could have this discussion. I would encourage you to, to peel this banana. The difference between the traditional view and the more new view is the way they view the workforce. So the traditional view sees the workforce as the problem to be fixed. Now, I'm always worried when I say that, that sounds like I'm saying they're bad people. What I'm saying, that's not true. What I'm saying is that the program is directed at fixing the worker. Mm-hmm. So you have behavioral-based observations, you have coaching and counseling, mm-hmm. you have behavioral management, you have zero, you have really strong compliance to rules, regulations, policies, and procedures. Those, at their fundamental level, those programs believe if the worker were safer, smarter, faster, quicker, cared more, then the company would be safer. But the new view, interestingly enough, doesn't see the worker as the problem to be fixed, but actually sees the worker as the solution to be harnessed, to be, to be tapped, to be talked to. Mm-hmm. So the worker's not the problem, the worker becomes the problem solver. And that difference, I think, is really the fundamental difference between the philosophical shift from the old view to the new view. I don't think one's bad and one's good. I think it was a maturation curve. One brought us to a point where it no longer was able to. There's only so much you can do to ask a worker to care more. Well, that's offensive anyway, mm. because 
asking a worker to try harder to be safer, try hard to not have an accident, that assumes prima facie on its surface that the worker has accidents because they want to have accidents. Well, that's just crazy talk. I mean, nobody wants to have an accident. It's a big pain in the butt. I mean, you got to do investigations and management talks to you and, you know, there's no good side to that. This shift in philosophy really has changed the way we direct safety. So safety is not an outcome. It's really a capacity. And that's, that's the big difference. Does that help? I think it does. I, I, can, I always come back to the fit. I always think that I, I don't think the, um, if I look at UK legislation, which is where my, all my experience comes from, I don't think we was ever intended to view the worker as a problem. I wholeheartedly agree with everything you've just said, but what, oh, it, how, what I think we... The intent, the intent was not that the worker was bad. The intent was is that the way you make safety better is you make workers safer. But in fact, what we know is that's not true. You would not fly on a plane. Well, actually, we're not flying on planes anyway. But if we were flying on planes, you would not fly on a plane that solely relied on the pilot being good. Mm. I mean, you just wouldn't, right? You want a secondary hydraulic system. You want a secondary radio. Mm. You want a co-pilot. You want you know, all those things. We make systems better by fortifying systems. We won't make systems better by fortifying people. People are, they're, they're really interesting. People are the most important part of how work gets done while simultaneously the least reliable part of doing work. And so once you understand that, and it's not a problem, no one intends to say the workers are bad. You start to realize, oh, we can make this better by making the system more resilient or more robust or less brittle or stronger, or whatever word you want. You can sort of insert your favorite word right there. <laughs> and that difference, well, it profoundly shifted the way we started to talk about safety. So how do you define safety? What's your definition for safety? If, if somebody came up and asked you, hey, you have a podcast, what's the definition of safety? What would you say? Well, this is, this is the big debate, and I think that what there must be about fifty or sixty. It, it is. A what's your definition? No, what's your definition? No, my my head. definition. There's not. A, there's not a definition. Yeah, there's not a debate around my personal one. So I would say well, that's my what I, personal. That's what I'm asking you. <laughs> my personal opinion of safety is: I think safety is efficiency. I think it's being efficient with your with your your risk. I think it's inefficient to have you know, un, un, unplanned events, it's inefficient to have uh, incidents, whatever you want to call them, it's inefficient to, to have any of that stuff, have the enforcer to come in, to be in the court, to get higher premiums, all of that stuff is poor efficiency. So I think if I was to step back and look at it from a risk point of view, I think the more holistic risk to the brand and the business as well as the people, I think it's just inefficient. That's, that's such an interesting definition good <laughs> it's um yeah that's really interesting because to be optimized towards efficiency um doesn't strike me as a system that's reliable okay and and i think you would you, you would be able to see examples of that 
from coronavirus if i'm honest you know we we've driven efficiency haven't we out of our systems and we've we've well, lost I, capacity which is what some people would say but right, or, or we never had we never had capacity right yeah, true. so i think i think what you saw was a global economy that was absolutely optimized towards efficiency towards production shareholder value all the kind of stuff that that they measure these are all really important metrics for companies right and they did that at the cost of having enough, what's the word I want? Uh, enough fudge factor, mm. enough coverability, enough capacity. Contingency, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a good word. Mm. They, they did that at the cost of having any excess. So they that, leaned out systems towards efficiency mm-hmm. because once a system gets efficient, you can lean out. You don't need a bunch of other people or crap or equipment. And when they leaned out that system towards efficiency, then when a catastrophic outcome happened, like a pandemic, it's only, it's my first pandemic, so I don't have a lot of experience with this, but <laughs> when, uh, when, when the pandemic happened, there was nothing they could rely on in the system and they had to rely on the people. So look at, look at national healthcare in, in the UK or look at hospitals in the United States, we both sort of share a horrific story of bad leadership making really stupid decisions, <laughs> right? The only thing that got us through that were nurses and doctors adaptively solving problems in real time at the coalface, at the, at the pointy end of the stick. The actual system left them high and dry. Uh, but that's, that's the point. I think, I th- from my point of view and how I view the the efficiency piece is that if you drive something to be so efficient and you use the phrase efficient that you can't absorb a significant incident or change like a global pandemic or granted a global pandemic wasn't on anybody's radar before but if you can't absorb you, you know you, you, something, you use word efficiency right that's your that's your word yeah so, so it's in conversation yeah yeah and i'm and i'm back in i'm back in my perception good, of, of efficiency good, good, good. So it, I think what, what we did before was essentially we took efficiency too far. You know, there's a difference between being efficient and running your machines or your supply lines or your people to the finest point that they can take. That's not efficiency. That, that in no way is efficiency. Efficiency is, is, is not running your car for years and years and years without sending it to a service, without handing it to a, to a um, MOT, without having contingency plans, without having breakdown cover. All of that stuff is efficient. It's efficient to have a plan in case that car breaks down, in my opinion. How we perceive okay. and operate under efficiency is, is not efficient, in my opinion. It's how can we squeeze every penny out of what we do? Uh, that is not efficient, in my opinion. That's that's different. That that is squeezing a penny out of everything you can do. That that's not efficient, in my opinion. That's not what this the dictionary says. Example. I get that, but that's this how a great I example of, That's a great example of how words only exist in people. True. The, the word doesn't have any meaning. You give it meaning, right? And you give it different meaning than than what you know a, a CEO, somebody in the C-suite would give it. But it's interesting. It's, that's a very very interesting way to define safety. Mm, hopefully i'll write, write a book one day and be as successful as you todd and then not on that that book that book won't that's not going to be your book because here's what i'm going to pre- here's what i'm going to predict you will have a new definition for safety within the next year yeah 
and then probably yeah. another one five years later, do you reckon? Or maybe maybe before? not. Maybe, maybe you're, you're you'll get to a point where where I think you'll be satisfied with with kind of looking at safety as a, as a as as a benefit kind of as opposed to it's not really efficient. So efficiency is such an interesting word because of a guy named Eric Hallnagel. Do you know him? Yep. So he wrote a book called Efficiency, Thoroughness, Trade-Off. Yeah, I've not read that one yet, but I've heard a lot about it. Yeah, you probably should read it. It'd be a, it'd be a good read for you. Yeah, I might because, stop calling safety efficiency after I read that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm quite certain you wouldn't use the word efficiency if you read Efficiency, Thoroughness, Trade-Off. Because Hallnagel would say that operational capacity lives in the thorough side. Hmm not on the efficient side. Hmm. And I will tell you that I think, I mean, this is a long conversation around this, but I think the belief that there's a difference between efficiency and thoroughness, their opposing thoughts is wrong. It's really a paradox. Companies have to be thorough, but they also have to be efficient. Hmm. And so they're constantly struggling, whatever struggling means, between this uh, pressure to deliver for the shareholder or whatever, however they value their product versus also being reliable and having capacity. The one thing the pandemic did, the one thing COVID-19 did for us is it was a big ugly mirror that was held up to our faces that showed us where we didn't have enough capacity. And, and organizations that, that succeed, that will succeed, that will thrive, are organizations that had enough capacity to manage this much variability. Mm. But that's not the interesting part of this discussion. The interesting part of this discussion are the nurses who made their own masks in the national healthcare system in the UK or the nurses that made their own masks in the healthcare system in the United States. That, that's really interesting because when it gets down to the brass tacks, which is a very American thing to say, <laughs> right? We counted on the workers adaptively creating the capacity we needed to not just survive but to function hmm. well, that, so that's, that, that's super interesting um phenomena and to to be honest sorry that was there before if i've worked in yeah, the chess for a couple of years it's, that's always been it, there it's always there the crazy yeah. and 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 we rely on it and we have for years and years and years i mean it's always there so the crazy thing about so workers complete plans management creates plans procedures, rules, regulations, uh, targets, goals, right? But workers then have to complete them. So they always have to adaptively complete them. And what's interesting is if you look at the healthcare, the healthcare example is really an interesting example, right? Because the workers weren't the problem. They were the solution. Yeah. And that's the shift between safety one and safety two. Mm. I would define safety, and I'll just give you kind of a, a little tiny definition for safety. Safety is not the absence of accidents, right? Because not having an accident, you don't know if you're good or lucky. Yep. Safety is the presence of capacity. Mm -hmm. So safety is not the absence of a negative. It's the presence of a positive. Yeah. Do you not think that, that that's one of the, the arguments from the safety one world then is like, well, how, how do we see that? How do we measure a presence of capacity if nothing's well, we do it all going wrong, essentially? So how many eggs do you have in your refrigerator right now? Oh, we've just had a food delivery this morning. So we've currently got 12 eggs, I think. So that's pretty high capacity on eggs. Yeah. Right? So, so it's easy to measure. I mean, 
we get we get wound up around the fact that measures are summative that they they tell us what's happened which yeah. traditional safety has really leaned on summative metrics i agree yeah. and you hear I people agree. say all the time what we need is a leading metric leading when, when people say leading metric two things one is they're being kind of stupid and two they don't exist leading metrics don't exist if they did we'd have them i mean we we, we would have uh, big companies like bp would have paid all the money in the world for a leading metric to not have Macondo. Mm. All the money, they would have paid billions of dollars, right? What we have to understand is that we have process use metrics and capacity is actually really easy to measure because you have 12 eggs in your refrigerator. You're not, you're not using those 12 eggs. In fact, you don't even know what those 12 eggs will be used for. Maybe, maybe you'll have a fried egg. Maybe you'll have a scrambled egg. Maybe you'll make a cake, right? I mean, all those things are possible, but you have the capacity now to do that. And that's how we measure capacity. Hmm. But this is a hard conversation because you're basically poking a sword into the heart of traditional safety, which people have held on to and truly believe has made a difference. And it probably has. If hmm. you look at it as a maturation curve that we did this, then we did this, then we did this, and now we're doing this, then it kind of makes sense that our thinking, and our philosophies around safety would mature because that's what's happening. Do, do you think you touched on an interesting point there? Do you think that part of the, the kind of argument and, and I'll say argument because some of the conversations I've seen on social media are nothing short of a full on argument between safety yeah, one and stop, safety two. Stop it's, reading social media. That's my advice there. And <laughs> yeah. um, so do, do you think the problem there is that is, is that what, what you kind of said was that, you know, it, is how we talk about the way we've done it before. We don't potentially acknowledge that safety one, if we're going to use that term just for this conversation, has got us to a point where we have dramatically re reduced the amount of people we, we've killed, killed in a year. Granted, now we're on a plateau and that safety two potentially is the next step to address that plateau. Or do, do, you, do you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it assumes then it's a zero sum game. Mm. right that one has to be right and the other has to be wrong i'm not sure so right and wrong is really a ethical question and i'm not sure who makes that decision but here's what i'll tell you it's really hard to change and a fundamental shift in the way we manage safety gets scary because it brings problems closer to leadership's desk not farther away from us mm. so my quick theory is and uh, this is going to be kind of a controversial podcast i like this my, like quick is, my quick theory is, is that the reason traditional safety is held onto is because it provides a moral separation between the company and its workers. So when an accident happens, the reason the accident happened is because the worker failed, failed yeah. to follow procedure, failed to follow directions, failed to identify the risk, failed to identify, failed to call stop workers. Somehow the worker failed. And that's really comfortable at the leadership level because then they can say, we didn't fail as a company. This worker failed us. Mm. Well, so if you've ever done, and you've been in safety eight years, right? Yeah. So you've done a bunch of investigations. Yeah. 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 I will promise you on every investigation you've ever done, barring some kind of criminal thing, like where a guy came in and stole stuff or, or that kind of thing it's a pretty good bet that the worker didn't fail the company. Hmm. The company's systems, processes, procedures, 
supply chain, right? All that's, that failed the worker. Yeah. And that is a much different way to look at safety. But that means now we're saying, hey, wait a minute. The organization is accountable, using that word carefully, for the accident. Well, most organizations don't want to be accountable. They want the, they want the train driver to be bad. They don't want the train track to be bad. I mean, that's what made James Reason famous, right? British Rail. He was the first person to say, wow, we've had like 11 crashes on this corner. Maybe it's not the driver of the train. Maybe we should redesign the corner. And they redesigned the corner and the crashes went away. Do you, do you think the, the world's ready for this stuff though, Todd? Because I mean, e- even now, what was it like? Uh, it doesn't matter. About, yeah, true. But like, was it I like mean, a, we, but if, as a prime example, you had the, the, we, we had Sam Goodman, the, the hot nerd. He's one of the newer podcasts come out of nowhere. And he was a great guy to have on, but we were talking about this as well. And I, and I said to him, you know, it wasn't so long ago that we had Saudi Arabia shooting down, a, I think it was Saudi Arabia, shoot, shooting down a, a passenger airplane and then announcing on national, international media, it was human error. So granted, different countries are behind different other, other countries, but the world just said it's human error. And everyone went, yeah, cool, cool, human error. Some guy just shot down a load of people. Whereas all of us in the safety world are going, hang on a minute we've just spent years saying that human error doesn't really exist or maybe not in a bad way, or it does exist. Oh, no, and, no, and, oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. I, I have to interrupt you. So <clears throat> human error always exists. Yeah. Sorry. I meant that it, it, it's, not, it's the, not that human error doesn't exist. It always exists. The crazy thing is that error is so normal. Hmm. It exists all the time that um, it's really never causal. Yeah. That, that's what I meant. Sorry. No, no, I don't. Oh, please stay strong. I mean, you know, don't worry. <laughs> you don't but, ever have to apologize. Oh, oh, wait, you're British. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. You could have already apologized, yeah. apologized like a hundred times before that. <laughs> but it, I genuinely don't. I don't see the the. Well, so the your your example, your example. So I'm not familiar with your example unless you're talking about the the shoot down of the KLM plane. Think, which right, which wasn't Saudi Arabia, but we can talk about the details. The details, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's fine, right? So, an act of war is different than a safety problem, right? So, yeah. sabotage is always different than an accident. And if you have sabotage in your company, that's not really the safety people's job. That's the police and senior management and attorneys and the criminal justice system taking care of sabotage. So if somebody comes in and sabotages one of your systems in order to hurt people, that's not a safety problem. Thank God that doesn't happen that much, right? That's pretty rare. What we deal with is a really good guy who's been with the company 15 years, who's just trying to get the production order out before noon so he can go to a, 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 a cricket game at four o'clock, right? Did right? You I mean, cricket all- just because you're on a British podcast. No, no, I actually picked cricket because just before I was watching a TikTok video of this like 11-year-old girl right. helicopter practicing helicopter swings oh, and okay. just, knocking, just knocking the ball. I mean, this little tiny girl just was just knocking the ball miles. And awesome. every time, every time they bowled, she hit it hard. So anyway, that's, right. that was in my mind. I but, thought you were trying um, to be accommodating for, for a British podcast and pick a... No, a so there's no American 
on earth that would ever use cricket as an example because nobody really <laughs> understands. Like, I don't have a clue what cricket is. Although I watched, I watched the 2020 in, in Melbourne. Hmm. Um, is that what it's called, the 2020? Yeah, well, there's it's 2020 like, and then there's the other form of, I'm not a massive, huge advocate of it. I couldn't tell you. A friend of mine would be kicking me right now, but there's two types, isn't there? You've got the traditional Well, the 2020 cricket. is the short one. Yeah, yeah, you got the traditional that, that cricket was, that will go over like five days or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have it. I don't have that in me. And the 2020 is over like in 30 minutes. Yeah, or, yeah, something know, crazy pretty like Pretty quick. That. Maybe it's in 20 minutes. Maybe that's where the name comes from. But anyway, that challenge of understanding safety is a part of the journey you're on. So you're in a really great place. You're perfectly situated for where you should be. But the crazy thing is, those challenges, those ideas will become more and more clear the more you think about and ponder and argue and discuss these ideas. And it'll all come back around to this. People are not the problem. They're, they're, they're not the problem. Mm. In, the, in the National Health Service, the people aren't the problem. Mm. The absence of funding, the dramatic amount of pressure that's on them, the reduced facilities. I mean, you worked in this industry, you know, right? The people aren't the problem. So asking people to be more careful. Doesn't work. Well, it's kind of dumb. I mean, because the assumption is, is they aren't careful enough, but people are as careful as they need to be, right? I, I'm never going to waste my careful. I'll only be as careful as I need to be. And I never need to be overly careful because being overly careful doesn't buy me anything. And that's your notion of efficiency. Mm. Right. So I'm only going to be just as careful as I need to be. Mm. Well, it's interesting. We're seeing it live, aren't we? Or we have seen it live over the last couple of months where you've got doctors and nurses that are working without the, the required PPE that's given guidance from the government. This is what you should wear then. And they haven't got it or they're wearing it. Not, not great. And they're not wearing it quite, quite correct or something like that. And the safety industry I think, or what I've seen, I said, oh, you know, you need to face face fit test everything. And, and they're right. Legislation says, and the guidance says, you, you must need a face fit test for respiratory protective equipment. But it's like, but how are we, how, do we have the capacity to actually deliver face fit testing? In and there's this? your question, right? Exactly. So surely there's got so the, to be that flexibility to be able to say, well, right. this is an emergency situation. So something's got to give. Right. And an emergency situation, an emergency situation rules always go away. We've seen that. That's been a really interesting part of the COVID thing. Yeah. But you've actually introduced two different problems. So if you were investigating this, you'd have to separate these problems out. One is a problem of availability. So nurses and doctors can't wear an N95 mask if there are no N95 masks to wear. Mm -hmm. Right? So... The second problem, which is very different, is nurses and doctors that are wearing N95 masks incorrectly. Actually, that's a problem we can fix, but that's, they're only wearing them incorrectly because we haven't taken the time to either do fit tests, fit training. You know, I mean, you have to look beyond that nurse and doctor. The nurse and doctor are interesting and important, but in either example you gave me, I wouldn't say they were the problem. No. So not having enough masks is just ridiculous. Mm. It's just ridiculous. I mean, you're in one of the richest countries in the world and they can't get enough masks for doctors to not get COVID-19. 
it is just what the hell i mean what the hell but if they don't wear if they don't wear them properly then that's actually really important data for us and we can say okay well how do we train how do we do fit tests what's the availability like and you're right what you're going to find my guess i'll just make this up because we're making up crap my guess is you're going to find that we don't have enough people to train all the doctors and we haven't taken the time because it's really not been a problem. We definitely train people who work in infectious medicine. They know because they count on it. But in COVID-19, we brought in lots and lots of people who don't work in infectious medicine who now are forced to be in this high risk environment and they haven't had the experience, the background, the training, the, the fit test actually use the equipment correctly but because it's an emergency we need the doctor more than we need to ensure the doctor's safety mm. so in a, in a way i suppose that that from what from what i kind of thinking out loud it's kind of a beautiful definition of capacity is, is it prior yeah. to coronavirus we didn't have the capacity to to be able to have everybody wearing uh, a face face fitted rpe so if we were we to have capacity, it. it would have been in, in I'm fi- again, thinking out loud, but if we were to have capacity, it would have been like, well, uh, let's, let's look to get not just the people that work in infectious uh, diseases or infectious kind of medicine. Let's get to look, look to get 50% of the hospital trained or, or 50% of the hospital as trainers as that kind of stuff. Therefore we've got the capacity if something goes wrong. Would that I be think wrong? you're honest. Yeah, I think you're honest. Son. I think that's a, that's really a, that's a good learning to come out of this, mm. right? Because that, that's a really good way to learn. And that's really what this new view does is it allows you to sort of separate blame from learning. So blaming people is emotionally satisfying and it provides that, it provides that ethical separation between the company and, and the accident, but it also stops learning. So blame is bad because blame stops improvement. So every time you, every time you try to say, okay, well, whose fault is this? You're not asking the bigger question of, do we need to train eight trainers per hospital on respirator fit? Because that would be really a good capacity to have if we have another pandemic or if COVID-19 re-blossoms and we have significant failure. So that's, and that's a really good I mean, I hope we learn from this. What I hope we do is bounce forward from this because there's lots to learn here. I, I just fear we're not going to learn it. I think, I think there's evidence to say we're not very good at learning, in, in my opinion. I just think, you know, we've just, prior to coronavirus, we had a huge fire in London and uh, I work quite heavily in fire and I, I don't see that the industry's learned in any way, shape or form. I think... Um, it's interesting when we look at, at Grenfell because we, we're not blaming a person, but, but we have, in essence, copied that model of blaming that one person to now blaming one item on the building. So everybody's heavily focused on cladding, and that's the blame. That, that's what we're blaming it on. It's the cladding. So who fitted the cladding? They're, they're the responsible person. They're, they're the naughty person that did this. When we step back and if you work in fire and you, and you come back and you look at the engineering properties of compartmentation and fire doors and how all this stuff works, like all of these stuff work together and they complement each other. So it's like, how, how can we just blame the cladding? The cladding is how, in my opinion, the fire became 
a big fire to a huge catastrophic fire. The cladding was not the cause of the problem. It was the cause of the spread or the exacerbation of the fire. Um, but it's interesting because we, we've, we're copying that human error model and now we're putting it on an item. So we're saying instead of it saying, right, it's Todd's fault, it's now saying it's the cladding's fault. So I don't right. think but that's, kind of, that's kind of an elaborate way to still blame people. But what you're, what, what, now what you're talking about, which is really important, is the uh, profound phenomena of oversimplification. So the reason we want a root cause is because fixing one thing is way cheaper than fixing a lot of things. And complex systems like fire protection for an apartment building, that's a complex system because it's many pieces all tightly coupled. They're interfaced. They're interconnected, right? That's the definition of complexity. Mm. So we look at that and we think, what's the one thing we can fix that would have the biggest bang for the buck that would ensure this will never happen again? And we don't fix the greater systemic problem, which is all the other things combined. And we do that because of efficiency. <laughs> I just dropped the mic. I just dropped the mic right there. Dropped mic the mic. has been dropped. <laughs> you set that up so beautifully. It was that was. I didn't, said, art, I didn't set crap up. You said crap up. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a little mini lesson. I like it. That was a, uh, I'm, I'm in the, oh, I don't think I don't really know how to come back from that. Oh, that must uh, never, I, I would never change, had, you change. I would change topic. If I were interviewing me, I well, if, I, if I were interviewing me, I'd be like saying things like, Hey, this was really fun. Thanks for being on the podcast. Like that's, that's how I would get out of it. Mm, I'm, I'm a masochist. So I feel like we should go even deeper into it. If I'm honest. I feel like really? so, I feel like people are benefiting from me being absolutely schooled. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not being schooled. I mean, you're I'm just joking. at a, You're at a. You're at a cool part of the journey. Mm. So the journey on this new view stuff is really interesting because it starts with this fixation around human error, blame, all that kind of stuff, and eventually you'll get to a point where error is so normal. It's so common. It happens. So every time there's an accident, a worker made a mistake. Mm. Every time. But even the crazy when you're right, surely. Yeah. The crazy thing is every time you're successful, workers made mistakes. Yeah. The difference is, is that one system had the tolerance to absorb the air and the other system did not have the tolerance to absorb the air. So mm. then you start thinking, well, maybe we ought to look at the tolerance that's in that system. Do we have systems that have the ability to fail safely? Right. Yeah. And that's what we try to build into planes and, and lifts in big buildings, right? Big, tall, like a lift that's really high up that goes really, you know, 80 floors or something. Yeah. You know, that's a really, really air tolerant environment because the lift, you can't push the buttons wrong and die. You can push the buttons wrong, mm. but you're not going to die. Right. Because the lift is so robust, it assumes everybody that operates the elevator is either drunk or stupid. And a part of them, Here's where the Venn diagrams combine, are drunk and stupid. And so it builds a system that has the resilience enough that if something fails, it fails, it fails safely. It fails open. It, it fails in a way that it's recoverable. And when you start looking at, well, the best example I can give you is fall protection. So why do we put people in fall protection? So they can that's fall a question. safe. That's yeah, that's exactly right. Fall protection doesn't care about the fall part. What does fall protection care about? 
due to you falling and not dying. Yeah, the recovery, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we actually run fall protection based upon capacity. We don't know who will fall. We don't know when they'll fall. We don't even know why they'll fall. We kind of know where because they're at height, right? So that, that's, <laughs> that's noble, right? So because we don't know who, when, or why, then what we do is we hook everybody up. Mm. And we say everybody should wear fall protection, not because you're going to fall. We assume you're going to fall. But because when you do fall, all we want to build into that system is enough recoverability so that we can gracefully extend, that's a David Woods comment, gracefully extend our system so that you can fall and not get hurt. Mm. You're like so that, quiet. But you got your Pink Floyd shirt I'm on, thinking. which I think is quite I'm impressive. I, Pink I, Floyd. Yeah, Pink that's, Floyd. Man. That is quite impressive. Why? Because I'm young? Is that what? Yeah. what yeah. How, old, yeah. Right. how old are you? How old are you? 13? 29. 13. 29. <laughs> 29? That's old. You're an old man. You need to change. 13. There is like, uh, somebody approached me the other day. They were like 16 year old and they had a podcast and they were like, do you want to come on my podcast? And I was like, how old are you? And they were like 16. I was like, dude, that's well good. 16 year old. You said, you said yes, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I would totally go on that podcast just to see what it's like. Oh, well, I listened to a couple of them. They're really good. He's really good. And like he just he probably school you on music and stuff. Yeah, definitely. I just get schooled on everything at the moment. But because twenty because twenty nine is old to sixteen year olds, you know true. that, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like they, he doesn't even think he'll ever get to be twenty nine. That's like that's like so far in the future that's not imaginable. Yeah, yeah. He looks at me and just thinks, "Oof, are you, are you a grandpa?" Yeah, that's right. How old he is. <laughs> Todd, I'm interested and I want to let you go soon, but I'm interested when you said um, that you think we'll probably have a new definition of safety soon and that we might potentially solidify on that one. I'd be intrigued as to what you think that might look like or sound like. It's the one I talked about. It's that safety, we, we can't look at safety as an outcome to be managed. Oh, we can, and we have for years, mm-hmm. right? And, and we measured it as an outcome to be managed and we did something really stupid. I mean, if you think about it, it's really stupid. And that is we measured the effectiveness of a company's safety program by counting the number of people they injured. Hmm. I so like that's the kind of dumb. I know. And I, I like the way uh, Eric talks about that, where he says you're, you're measuring good marriages by, uh, by measuring divorce. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's dumb, right? It's, it's counterfactual and it's kind of dumb. And, it's, and we mostly don't fail. So it's kind of a small data set. What we have to do now is really understand that what we really want to manage is the capacity to have recoverability. So we're going to move from a system that has been really optimized towards efficiency. Sorry, but that's the word I would use. <laughs> Mic <Might> drop. <laughs> towards a system that's really optimized towards resilience. Hmm. And that's what you're going to see happen is the, the cycle's going to swing, my guess, I'm predicting the future, and I'm not that good at that, but <laughs> the cycle's going to swing so that companies become much more interested in, in being resilient. So one of the things I think you're going to see, it'd be curious to talk again, but since a lot of people worked from home, a lot of those people probably won't go back to their office because they don't need to, right? I mean, the, we proved that this is quite a test. And it's cheaper and safer to not have 
giant groups of people collectively being in an office. And so therefore, I think a lot of work is going to move out of the classic locus of control into more distributed, kind of more gig work kind of affair. And that's going to be really interesting. It'll be really interesting to see how it changes the safety professional. Because I think we learned in the midst of this that some of us don't matter very much to the company. And that's a hard, it's going to be a hard lesson. Yeah, I would attest to that, definitely. It's going to be hard because they went out and did a lot of work with essential workers and they didn't follow the rules and they didn't follow the procedures, but they were successful and they didn't get hurt. Hmm. So, you know, that capacity that we count on is there. But I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's, it's really a bizarre time right now. I mean, the, the amount of crises. So we have the pandemic uh, health crises. We have the global economic impact, which is really significant. So we have an economic crisis. We have in the United States a social justice crisis, which is really, really, um, it's, it's coming to some kind of peak right now Mm. and then we have a psychological crisis that everybody is dealing with in their own way and so those are four it's like uh it's like four giant crises happening simultaneously and nobody no company has that much capacity to really go back to the way they were and so there's going to be kind of a new definition of what normal looks like and that new definition i think is going to change dramatically i mean i i i I don't know if i'll ever go back to a grocery because now that they've got these apps where you can just sit on your phone order all your groceries they collectively put them together and you drive by and pick it up i mean why would you go in there if time is really important to you that saves a ton of time and you're still getting the same amount of crap i mean you still buy stupid stuff because they're really good on the app making sure you see all the you know like there's a whole section on of crisp before you check out because who doesn't think oh that would be really delicious to have those those would be lovely yeah so for the uh, north americans uh, that's potato chips potato chips i'm just translating thank you i appreciate that (laughs) yeah because crisp is just kind of wrong well, why is it, how is it wrong? It's what they are. They're not chips. Chips are chips. Chips are like chunky potato slices. Those are called fries. No, no, no. Fries are thin, like thin French fries. They're fries. And then chips are the thicker version of said fries. I, I think it's a distinction without a difference. There is a difference, though, between a potato chip and a French fry. I think that that Americans suffer from oversimplification, if I'm honest. Simplification, Ouch. if I'm honest. Mike, Mike, drop. <laughs> That's a bold thing to say. I wouldn't be throwing any stones, Mr. Live in a Glass House. You <laughs> That's got true. Bojo. That's you true, got yeah. Bojo. Bojo's just as big a trip as anybody. So. Oh, you can't throw Bojo at me. Next, you'll be bringing out the Brexit word. That, that's not <laughs> well, I kind to talk about it, but I'm keeping away from it. <laughs> I, 
anyway let's not get into the america versus uh, the britain debate because i think we are as bad as each other at the moment aren't we yeah it's uh it's neither of us can really proudly point to anything at this moment in time no we did we did brexit and then you guys said here hold my beer and voted for trump let's let's not get into that (laughs) watch this watch this uh Todd, just quickly, what I'm I'm intrigued as to why you started the podcast. The podcast? Yeah, because you've been going um, a long time, haven't you? Have yeah. So yeah. Um, so I think I started it because it was a it would be fun and it was a chance to buy gear, and gear's <laughs> always fun to buy. I mean, it's you know you can buy microphones and mixers and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I also probably more seriously realized that people were getting their information in different ways. And I really saw that when, where, where I worked at the National Laboratory, if you gave a reading assignment or if you gave out a book, everybody would read it and have comments written in the margins and questions and want to argue it. When I went into industry, I found giant, really impressive industries that just didn't read. They didn't read anything. They didn't read books. They didn't read journal articles. They, did, they didn't read anything. And, and that's okay. I'm not standing in judgment on reading or not reading. But I, I started thinking, well, maybe. So do you know a guy named Marshall McLuhan? He, he's dead. I mean, you don't know him, but he's really famous. No, I don't actually. So Marshall McLuhan was a Canadian from Toronto who said these words. The medium is the message. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So yeah, he's really famous for that, right? So read McLuhan's stuff. It's really interesting. And I started thinking, well, if, if they're not reading, how are they getting stuff? And I was a pretty big fan of podcasts for a long time because I fly all the time. And podcasts are amazing when you sit in a plane because they, they not only make you smarter, but they entertain you. And you get kind of, uh, you get kind of involved in them. You sort of have this uh, relationship with, with, the podcast people, which is really fun, right? Mm. So I started thinking, well, maybe we should have a conversation around this um, the safety journey we're on, this philosophical shift that's happening. So I just started, and uh, it was it was fine. And then in the middle of it, this man who was really important and had a big software company tweeted about my podcast on this on his on his account and I went from having like 250 listeners to having 25,000 listeners nice. the next day. Nice. Yeah. And so then once it started getting some traction and you have millions of people that listen, then it becomes more fun because you can talk to more interesting people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. It's uh, I don't think it's hard work. So it doesn't feel like an obligation to me. Um, so I don't mind doing it, and uh, and it gives me a chance to talk to interesting people and have conversations, and that's always fun. And yeah. Um, yeah. after a while, people sort of count on you being kind of a part of their commute to work or or walking the dog on Sunday or whatever it is they do, and uh, that becomes really uh, an interesting kind of obligation that you have to make sure that you continually provide good, solid information in a way that um, helps people 
have conversations in their head while they listen to your podcast. Hmm. So that's, that's why I did it. Why did you do yours? I did mine because <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't felt like I fit with the image of safety and um, I wanted to rebrand safety and that's why we call it rebranded safety. Um, Hence the name. Okay. Got it. Uh, that was, that was pretty much it. I, I didn't, I looked at the, the perception of health and safety and I looked at the people that were doing health and safety and on how we were talking, how we were walking in a high vis and our clipboards. And I was just like, that's not me. And I was a rugby player and you know, you go and play rugby. And if you miss a tackle, uh, someone's like, Oh, did you miss that? Cause of health and safety, you know, didn't want to do that cause it's dangerous kind of, kind of banter. And, um, <laughs> and I just thought, I don't, I don't resonate with that. And that's not, that's not what I saw safety as. Um, and I, and I, yeah. And I just thought, right. Let's let's go. Let's see what what's out there. I, I remember I listened to a podcast about business, and they were interviewing Gary Vaynerchuk, and he said about an app uh, called Anchor.fm where you can host a free a free podcast, and that was it. The same day, came home, downloaded the app on my phone, plugged in my hands free, um, and there and, you were, and recorded it. And now we're we're here like nearly two years later with all the gear and no idea because you got to buy all the gear. Yeah, definitely. It's like here's totally. That's like the most interesting part of this is you're like, oh, yeah. oh, I need this thing. How many microphones have you bought? We've got two. We've got two for the podcast. But then the, the other thing is, if you want to talk about gears, you need to start a YouTube channel because the gear for YouTube is even better. It's awesome. Oh, I see. I don't know. I don't know if I'm YouTube. It's, I'm not sure I want people looking at me. <laughs> and and uh, don't you have to be naked to be on YouTube? No, not necessarily. You can if you but want it helps. to. Yeah, yeah, I mean it helps. Yeah, it helps. Well, that's that's. Oh, what yeah, I, I did. I did one video like that, and we lost subscribers. <laughs> I didn't really. <laughs> but yeah, we got two mics for the podcast, and then two mics for the or three mics for the videos. Uh, See, look at all this. Look at all the mics you have. And, uh, You're the man. You're the mic man. The funny thing is, we brought some. Uh, we brought these little road uh, wireless goes. They're called about a year ago. No, it's this year actually. In February, we brought them uh, for the videos, and um, and they're actually nearly as good as like the really expensive kind of oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I've so been quite good. impressed. I've been quite. If you're starting a podcast, and everyone is starting a podcast, if you're starting a podcast, the microphone that I'm most impressed with. So I use a kind of a fancy pants. Sure, SM7B, which is kind of oh, seven hundred quid's worth of mic. That is, yeah. I mean, it's kind of the the. I bought it used, so I I feel really good about it. But the Rode Podcaster microphone, which costs ninety nine US, is the best single microphone I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's ninety nine. It's a, it's super cheap. Yeah, I love Rode stuff. This is the Rode NT one, and then we've got a Rode. The Rode wireless goes for the cameras. Uh, and that's it, actually, what we've got for road, but I, I love it just because it's affordable, yeah. you know. And uh, Yeah, that's what I like to do. I like that, too. I'm for it. But, yeah. Cool. Anyway, Todd, I'm going to let you go, mate, because uh, I know you're a fan of a, a short, valuable conversation. I feel like that was quite valuable. Do you want to, uh, do you want to give us a quick uh, plug of your podcast if people want to go listen to your podcast or, or read your books or anything like that? Do you want to let everyone know? Sure. So, hey, can I have a copy of this audio and put it on my podcast? Of course you can. Of course you That's can. That's the deal I make with anyone. I'll be on your podcast, but I'm going to use it for I'll, my podcast. I would be amazed to have the opportunity to be on your podcast. So thank you very much. Yes, you can have. I think, I think it just happened. It did. I think you just, you just sat through it. 
So it's called Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast, and it's, uh, it's out there. So you can find it a million places. Listen and enjoy. There's a bunch of really interesting stuff on, uh, well, recently there's a bunch of really interesting stuff because a lot of um, epidemiologists and docs and famous people who deal with pandemics have been on because they have lots to say. But also it's a real opportunity to build community, which is kind of why I do the podcast is it's just an ongoing conversation around understanding system safety mm. and thinking about safety away from the worker and towards looking at the larger organizational system in which the work happens. So that's, that's, and it's right there. Come on and join me. And it's got a lot of people in the, around the world listens. So join them. See what you think. Yeah, there was a great episode with uh, Adam Johns, actually, who I talked to quite yeah, a Yeah, wasn't that fun? Too. Yeah, it was a good That's one. That's when, like he, when he like bragged that he was painting a fence during quarantine, yeah. and I was like, God, nobody else is doing that. You're just kind of showing off. <laughs> I like Adam. He's a good lad. Um, we, we we actually just had a chat with him. We haven't put it out yet, but we, we've had a chat with him about that kind of practical application of, of the safety tool or the new view. Because I think a lot of the time mm-hmm. we talk about it from a theoretical point of view. And sometimes we miss the the opportunities to talk to people who have actually done it. And I think that was interesting about Adam's story. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Has anyone yeah. been mad at you yet? Do you have any haters? We had our first hater the other week, actually, which I was buzzing about. I think that is like a sign of achievement when you've had a hater. I agree. Yeah. I agree. It's, it's a badge of honor. Yeah. And I, I, I like ran downstairs because I got the comment come up on my phone on one of the videos. And I, as I showed the wife and I was like, look, we've got a hater. I can't remember what he said. I think he thought we that were. Doesn't matter. No, I think he thought that we made a video and we were paid to make the video. And I was just like, if we were paid to make a video, we have to tell you. We have to legally say we this is a paid sponsorship. But it wasn't. It was just an honest. It was. It, that was it. It was a review of um of a new qualification we've got in the UK called NCRQ, and um I was just critiquing it. And I actually really enjoyed the diploma that I did with them. And uh, that was it. So I gave him an honest opinion. And he was like, you've been paid for this. It's a load of rubbish. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, we've got a hater. I know. Awesome. It's totally a plus. When somebody hates it, you know you've done it right. Mm-hmm. We got a there couple some, of messages. There are, crazy, there are some crazy motherfuckers out there, man. Oh, yeah. There are. Definitely. Oh, you'll get some nutballs. I mean, just yeah. nutballs. I can't oh. wait. I can't wait. I hope we get them. And then, and then write books. Books still sell in safety. Yeah. And books are really interesting. And then you really get people to hate you. I really, I'd like to, I think I'd love to write a book. And I think I want, I'd like to write a book of the podcast, like all, like what I've learned over the first like two, three years of the podcast of talking to people like yourself. And we've had so many people on like from safety one, safety two, people that just do the, the job um, and, and normal people for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, that would be. I think that would be an interesting book. I don't want to be another guy that, yeah. book that thinks he knows everything. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, so that's the. You never want to write a book that you think you know everything. <laughs> no. 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 But the books are interesting and they sell. Yeah. At least for me, they just. It's crazy how uh, that freaks me out more than the podcast. Are you seeing an increase? Like yeah, lately, because I feel like it's um, I feel like it's huge. getting traction. This safety two world and hop, especially, is getting huge yeah. traction. Huge, huge. 
it's weird how much it's increased and it's humbling. I mean, I'm, I'm humbled by it. And I just wrote this book uh, called when the worst accident happens. And I, it, I, I, it was published during the pandemic. And so even though I didn't write it in the pandemic, I wrote it before. It's about how a company should respond to a fatality. Okay. It's a, it's kind of, it's, I like the book cause it's really subversive. Okay. It, it's secret message is that you need to respond with restorative action, not retributive action. Um, so it's about, it's really about justice, workplace justice, but it doesn't say that. I mean, it's, it's really written about fatalities, but because it happened during the pandemic, I rewrote the introduction to talk about the pandemic crisis mm-hmm. and it is just zoomed. Really? I mean, it's crazy how much it's sold. I mean, it's just it's like weird. I don't really understand how that happens, but it happens. It's funny what, what people like, isn't it? We, we were watching our most successful video by far from a production value is our worst video. Like you can even see, the, <laughs> you can even see the boom mic, like at the top of the screen, just hanging down. It's terrible. And, um, but it's, it's how to do a fire risk assessment and it's, uh, or, or how I would approach doing a fire risk assessment. And it by far the most popular video we've done videos on how to do a risk assessment or how to have kind of risk-based mindset and stuff like that. Nowhere near. It's like, this has got thousands of views, whereas the others have just got hundreds of views. And I'm just like, well, it's because it's it's an applied skill that they needed. Mm. It's always about value. So if you have an episode that gets a lot of action, it's because that episode provided the right value at the right time for those people. Yeah. And so, my advice is, and I'm not giving you advice, you've been around a while, but, but my advice to all the people that are starting podcasts is focus on the content. Yeah, definitely. The, con- the content definitely. is the most important part of it. And if you don't have content, then people won't listen. I mean, and that's how podcasts go away. Yeah. I mean, they have to have valuable content. And so you kind of have to know the work and know who listens. Like, like for me, what amazes me about my podcast is that probably half of my listeners are not safety people. Mm. They're either highly reliable computing people. So they work with cloud-based computing, computing reliability, a lot of pilots, a lot, a lot of pilots, a lot, like a weird amount of pilots, um, which is kind of bizarre. And then a a lot of business people. Because the, the application of capacity and resilience, the stuff we talk about in the new view, um, really is not really a safety value. It's yeah. really an operational value, hmm. which that's the other thing you're going to see. Is I, I think Hall Nagel's new book is in, on this very topic, but I think you're going to see safety as its own category probably go away and resilience operational resilience, business resilience, supply chain resilience, all those resilience factors, those are going to come in. And so they're going to look at a safety failure as a resilience problem, which would be really good because then they're not looking at it as a person problem. Mm. I like that. That's intriguing. Interesting times. I can definitely feel a shift. Except even in the, the last year or so that I've been doing this, we've just, the shift has gone from, you know, not, not really like the new view was like this kind of little group or not little in the work, in the scope of the world, but it was a, a, a kind of minority group that, that were really not 
they were in a bit of an echo chamber, I think maybe a little bit of an echo chamber. And now that echo chamber seems to be leaking out into the wider world. I think things like podcasts are making a massive difference, you know? So, so I think you're right. Um, I also think one of the things that's taken the new view to the larger population is its ability to provide different re recoverability around fatal and serious events. So the big problem with fatalities, this is almost another podcast for you. I mean, we're not going to do it, but, but this is one you ought to be thinking about, is the things that hurt people are not the same things that kill people. Mm. And so all the work we've done in manufacturing safety, industrial safety, classic safety, has been around injury and harm reduction. Mm. with the belief that somehow that would apply to the larger accident like a fatality. But what we know, and the data on this is really rich, is that people don't die of sprained ankles and ergonomic issues with their back. They die for much different accidents, accidents that have never happened before. Doors fall or, or I mean, you know, it, it sort of surprises. Yeah, and, and that's the argument against the triangle really, isn't it? Oh, it's totally, well, the triangle is dumb. It's a waste of time. But that's, <laughs> that's totally put the new view into the, the attention span of senior leaders because they don't want to kill people. Mm. And really safe companies still kill people. So mm. companies with amazing industrial safety records, I mean, like unbelievable metrics, like, you look at them and you think they've got to be lying, but they're not lying. They just, they're that good. They still have fatal accidents. Hmm. And so now the new view, which basically says there's a bias on prevention and we should shift the bias off of prevention and put the bias on control. So it, it'll change risk assessment. And, and you're probably seeing this happen, but risk assessments, we would go out and try to manage risk. But I would just tell you that um, we don't get to manage risk. Workers manage risk, and risk is constantly changing. It ebbs and flows. It moves back and forth. The one thing we can manage are controls. So safeguards, barriers, right? Processes, procedures, capacity. Those are all capacity things. And so when I ask you how many eggs are in your refrigerator, I was, I was just kind of illustrating in kind of a snide way that you could tell me the capacity of eggs you have in the house. I would also suggest that if I went out and said, how many fall protection uh, activities do you have going on right now? You could actually go out and measure your capacity for fall protection. You wouldn't need somebody to fall. You could look at the availability of fall protection or fire protection or right, pick anything, right? I mean, hmm. that notion of capacity is really a bigger notion and a better notion. Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave all of that in because that was, even, that was amazing. Yeah, that definitely is a whole separate conversation. But cut all that middle part out where we talked yeah. about microphones and podcast stuff because nobody but us care about that. I promise you, nobody cares about road microphones but you and I. We'll get rid of that, and we'll get rid of that that bit where you called your your guest a bit of a dick. <laughs> oh yeah, do that. Yeah, take that one out too. <laughs> yeah, we two, two podcasters said they don't like to edit, and now we've got a lot of editing to do. <laughs> That's all in the same section. Yeah, we'll get. I'll just get rid of that middle bit. But yeah, no, that was really. But he was. He was. He truly was.
Mm. I think there's a shift around it massively. And I think we're starting to see, like in the UK, we're starting to see directors of risk pop up. And, uh, and 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 them managing broader sectors of the business, which is interesting. Yeah. I wonder well, whether that's, 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 that's that push towards resilience, right? Yeah. So definitely. that's a push away from efficiency towards resilience. And that's going to always, you're going to really see that. So it's a really good time to be thinking the way you're thinking. Hmm. But I would, I would highly encourage you, like, so have you, have you read like pre-accident investigations? Did you read that? I'm, I've read book? the pre-action, your one, your book. Yeah. No, not yet. No, that's on the wish read. list. That is, that's on the Amazon wish list. So I'm read that. currently reading pre, um, sorry, uh, Sydney's one. What's it called? Field, field guide to human error. Yeah. That's the other one I would tell you to read the field guide to human error. And, and, uh, and then you could look up Hallnagel's efficiency thoroughness trade-off the ETO principle, ETTO. That's a good one. You can probably find most of that online. Yeah, so you can got, find most of online anyway. So you yeah, to be to honest, most of the stuff like most of the stuff I've learned from this stuff is is been online watching like on the safety differently forum. That's quite a good resource. And um, talking yeah, yeah. To, talking to people on this podcast, you know, we're talking to Adam Johns, talking to Ron Gant, talking to uh, you know behavioral based safety people like Tim Marsh and uh, Dom Cooper and stuff like that. It's been don't talk to them. <laughs> a waste of time. Oh no, you can't say that. About behavioral based safety? Well, you can't say that they those people are a waste of time because that's oh, no, what they're, causes they're the amazing. arguments. Not the not the people. The people are great. It's yeah. that behavioral based safety is really focused on the old view, which is the workers the problem. Hmm. So companies aren't in charge of behavior. You know this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't get to manage behavior. Like if, when you worked in healthcare, you don't manage the behavior of doctors. No. The no, you environment, don't. And, and, the environment or the context drives the behaviors, right? So, so, the, and this is, so the context is not behavior, right? Yeah. So if you took behavioral-based safety out and you observed context, yeah. you observed conditions, then perhaps you'd have something to look at. But if you're looking at at-risk behavior versus non-at-risk behavior, I'm not sure what that measures. But I will tell you from the bottom of my heart, the intent of people who are involved in behavioral-based safety is good. I mean, they want to make the world a better place. But the problem see, is, is that behavioral-based safety entirely assumes the workers the problem. I see. I feel it does. You know, it does. It, I promise no, no, you, it does. What do they go out and observe? But if you, if you, granted, yeah, that's a good point. I think they go out and observe bad behavior. They're looking for bad behaviors. Uh, yes. Yeah. I get there. There, but I think. I listened to a five-part interview with Professor Scott Geller, who is like huge behavioral-based safety guy, right? And, and he said that one-liner, environment defines the behaviors. Now, that's extremely similar to what we but will it, talk about in the new view around context. Driving you know behavior. that he, he did not say that one-liner until Scott and I had the most giant argument in front of 6,000 people. Oh, is that recorded? It, I'd love it, to watch that. Yeah, it's on probably... Yeah, it's really famous. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Oh, Scott and I have a long, a long, long history. Mm. Scott's made a ton of money, right? Selling the idea that, that workers should care more. In fact, he, he copy wrote, what's the past tense of copyright? Copy wrote. I don't, I don't think that's right, but he copyrighted the phrase actively caring. Yeah, his new book is called that, Dude. isn't it? Dude. 
please tell me what that means. Does that mean if a person has an accident, they're not actively caring? What is actively, is actively caring more than caring? And does caring have anything to do with accidents? When you drive your car, do you wreck because you don't care? Well, no, not necessarily. Well, you, you, I think you crush your car, car because you're, you, you, you crush your car because you're taught, you're, 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 it's like learned stupidity or learned helplessness. Oh, no, it's icy or a phone rings or a bee flies but, in the car. I mean, there's a million conditions to, that allow you to crash your car. Right. Right. Remember, crashes in vehicles are almost always a function of the road you're on. Mm. Right? Mm. I mean, that's systems drive behavior. Systems of behavior, and we know that because you can't, you're not in charge of your worker's behavior. Mm. If you've raised kids or dogs, you learn really early. You don't yeah. get to be in charge of behavior. <laughs> They're in charge of behavior. I've, I've said for a, a long time, actually, that, that health and safety is very similar to how I train my dog. You know, positive yeah, reinforcement, is. avoiding of, of situations that I know he's going to he, react badly in. Yeah. Better. If you don't want your dog to eat stuff, then you don't put stuff around that they eat. Mm. But it's, oh, do you know what, Todd? I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. We, well, need, we, to, should, we need to get another later. day in the diary. Yeah. We, definitely. Because yeah. there's so much you talk about that, that just, yeah, resonates really highly with me. I know I've learned a lot from this call as well, which is good. That was not the intent. Not no. the intent. Well, there you go. Oh. There you go. Two birds, one stone. There you. That's anyway. that. That is efficient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on that note, I'm uh, going to walk my dog and eat my dinner. So it hasn't. So, so are I, we done? So yeah. is, is our conversation over? But it's interesting. Yeah. It's let go on. Bugger off, because or else we're going to be here all day. Because. Okay, guys, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Don't forget to check out next week's episode where I give you my reflection, my thoughts and feelings on this conversation with Todd. And come and let me know your reflection on it, your thoughts and feelings on any of the social medias. We're on Twitter, Rebranded Safety, LinkedIn. Come find me, James McPherson, and or Rebranded Safety on LinkedIn, Rebranded Safety on um what's the other one facebook as well we're on them all so come check us out hope you enjoyed this conversation and uh, don't forget to go get yourself some merch www.rebrandsafety.com if you like this episode give us a rate and review it really really helps us get around the houses to other people's listening holes and eye holes and thingamajiggies like that but otherwise i'll catch you next week in my reflection on the conversation with mr todd conklin safe the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a shameless 
sponsorship clip. In all seriousness, guys, we partnered up with DRM Group. You know David McLean's been on the podcast time and time again. We absolutely support his message, and he's got a brand new online course to help you. I'm going to let him tell you all about it now. The brain can be trained to think and behave differently, to think in more positive and optimistic ways. And there are steps that you can take to train your brain to feel good for good. And we call this lasting positive change. Through our 16-day programme, which includes daily videos and action sheets, taking you no longer than 15 minutes to complete a day, you will learn how to move away from thoughts of anger, hopelessness and frustration to a place of mental well-being and positivity. Okay, guys, so if you're interested, you can click the link below and get a discount, special rebranded safety discount. Full disclosure, we get a little bit kickback from that. So at the same time as improving your mental health, you can support your favorite health and safety podcast YouTube channel. I'll let you get back into the content.